This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. I've got uh, Graham Williams, uh, man in the saddle here as well. Thanks for coming in. Always happy to be here. Got a cool uh, program. Uh, we're going to be talking about some cool startups uh, later in the program, one of which is uh, developing a new type of uh, system that can make food from pods, kind of like a Keurig, but for food. Mm, food pod. It's the future. <laughs> How good could these meals be? <laughs> I don't know. How bad could they be, really? it's in- Well, we'll get the lowdown on, on, on that and some other kind of neat startups uh, that are uh, coming here in Canada. We'll also be talking with Laura Tribe from Open Media about uh, the wireless carrier's new data-only plans that they're proposing. CRTC mandated uh, that they uh, come up with some data-only plans that didn't have talk and text. You'll be uh, surprised and awed at uh, the pricing and how much data uh, that they're suggesting. Hmm. And we have Laura from Open Media to give her thoughts on it. So uh, you'll want to stay tuned for that. It's interesting. Would you look at getting a data-only plan? Like, do you still use the phone part? I use the phone occasionally, but to be quite honest, a lot of the phone calls that I make right now are made on FaceTime audio, yes. um, which is a, it's a much better quality audio profile. Um, and Skype to a degree. I'm not a huge fan of Skype. The interface is just so clunky, but it's yeah, like... Yeah, what the hell did they do to Skype? <laughs> Skype used to be awesome. I, I need a rocket degree now to figure out how to get through that damn app now. I feel like whoever's in charge of UI at Skype just hates people. Yeah. That, that's really what it comes they, down to. They think to. they're making it more intuitive. You know, you got to swipe this way or that way. Just put the damn buttons or icons on the front screen. I want to phone someone in my contacts or I want to whatever. They need to stop. And this actually kind of goes for Microsoft in general. They need to stop trying to make every app, everything to everyone. Skype was a wonderful app to try to phone people. And adding video chat was great. But as soon as we start getting into like, how's your day? No one cares. I just, I just want to make a call. Stop. I know, but I can never find anyone because I can't find the screen to make the call. Because your contacts, I think you've got to swipe left and then down. I don't want. I just up, want an icon. Hit BA, select start. Can, can I just have an icon for contacts? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Like a little. Ad, you, they can make it look like an address book, right? Oh, <laughs> I, I digress. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about some tech news here. Uh, you're listening to Get Connected uh, again. Uh, the big news this week: Facebook. Uh, once again, they had their developers conference. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, I guess, trying to deflect some of the attention away from the Cambridge Analytical uh, Analytica scandal, uh, announced Facebook dating. This is going to go over like a lead balloon. <laughs> yeah, do you think? So coming up here in Facebook, you'll actually be able to find online dates, kind of like Tinder or Bumble. I, I really like or I Match.com. Mean, I mean this with as much respect as I can generate at this point, but do I really want an emotionless Muppet on a stage telling me that they're now going to use my personal information to try to tell me who to date? Forget it. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so out. Like as they need to make sure that this is opt in in the biggest way. And so that there's like a can you supply at like an 11 foot barge pole to keep it away from the rest of us because 10 foot barge poles aren't quite enough. If you're really interested in this topic, uh, we will be covering it on our sister show uh, tomorrow, uh, the app show. If you haven't listened to it yet, it is awesome. If you're into the world of apps and who isn't now with smartphones and smart TVs, we'll uh, be covering how it works. Should you be using it? And, uh, what its future is. Speaking of Facebook uh, as well, at the developers conference, uh, they announced what the name of their new digital assistant is going to be. Codenamed M for the longest time. Do you know what the name is? Uh, I believe, if I'm right here, Marvin? Marvin. Do you, do you immediately think back to the Bugs Bunny cartoons at that point? The Martian Manhunter? I'm Marvin the Martian with my P45 space demodulator. <laughs> that guy? 
that that's that's who I think of. And honestly, actually, that kind of fits for Facebook for me. It's kind of if their assistant is someone, I probably want to find them and give them a wedgie. Yeah, uh, some are saying it's a it's a nod to uh, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, the paranoid android there that had a brain the size of a planet. So, so basically, they've got their AI and they're naming it after the most depressed robot in history. This actually fits. All of this is working for me right now. Yeah, it's interesting, the whole digital assistant uh, world. Everyone's trying to get in on it. Uh, you know, obviously, we have Google with the Google Assistant. Amazon's got uh, Alexa. Uh, Microsoft has Cortana that no one is using. And, of course, Apple has Siri as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, and sort of on the, on the trusted to untrusted scale, you kind of got, I mean, for me anyway, Apple has said very much they're all about privacy, which I think is kind of why Siri is not as comprehensive as some of the other ones. You know, I trust... Amazon a little bit more. I trust Google a little bit less than them. And way over in the you've got to be kidding me category is Facebook. And I'm going, do I really want a smart speaker with a microphone that they promise is not listening, just like they promised they weren't sharing my data? <laughs> I, like Again, h- how far away can you keep this from me at this point? Yeah, I, it, it's tough. Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, they say that Amazon actually collects even more information about you than Facebook does. But we have a trust with Amazon. We do. I mean, like, I, I buy a fair amount of stuff from Amazon, but I'd like to think it's fairly innocuous. Uh, I'm going to find out at some point that it's not, which is hilarious. But, um, yeah, you know, there, there's there's very much a relationship of I am buying things from them, so I kind of expect them to know what I'm buying. That's fine. And when they make recommendations, I'm like, I can easily track, like, I bought this, so it's it makes sense that they're recommending that. Some of the things that have kind of come up from Facebook, it's come out of left field, and I'm like, that's a little too close to home. How about you don't? <laughs> Let's talk about uh, smartphones. Uh, LG is uh, launching the G7 ThinQ. What do you think of this? Well, so, I mean, it's a beautiful little handset. And, of course, at the top of it, what does it have? The notch. It has the notch. So, like, literally, we have got we go through this cycle. Explain the notch. So, the notch uh, essentially was rolled out with the iPhone X, and it basically gave you this space at the top of the screen where there was additional screen where you could have smart features so it could show you the time and the and your signal, but it cut out a space for the cameras, right? Because you got to have that front-facing camera, and Apple's got their Face ID camera. So, uh, basically, you know, Everyone outside of Apple gave Apple just the hardest time when they introduced this notch because, you know, on, the, on either side of the notch, they've got this feature that they're calling the ears, which is the screen that kind of comes up beside it. And of course, <laughs> what are we seeing? We see this with every Apple product cycle. Apple brings something out. Everybody else makes fun of them for it. About three months later, they start to settle down. And about four months later, they release a product that looks almost identical. Um, you know, what can we say but, here? But Apple didn't, wasn't the first one with the notch. Do you remember the Essential phone? I do remember the Essential phone. I still have one of them. It's the probably one of the most beautiful Android phones. And, and it's got the notch. And, and here's the thing. So doesn't it really stand to reason that the notch is actually a fairly decent design cue? Maybe we probably shouldn't have given Apple a hard time about it. Uh, I have an iPhone 10. I got the notch. I don't care. Yeah. I, honestly, like you said, the Essential phone was absolutely stunning. It still continues to be absolutely stunning. I, I'm actually looking to see what, uh, what might be next from them. Let's talk about uh, VR quickly here. Oculus, uh, owned by Facebook as well. What don't they own? (laughs) Uh, They've got a new mobile headset uh, for cheap, $199 US. So it's, yeah, $200 US. It runs Android 7-ish. You know, it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, And it is a VR headset with all of the wonderful 3D graphics features and immersive audio that comes with it. 
And so this is a great way for people to get into virtual reality and explore, explore virtual spaces uh, wirelessly. Um, so typically in the past, you've done this. If, if you buy a headset like perhaps Google Dream or um, even Google Cardboard, um, you can slide your phone into it, but your phone's occupied while you're doing that and it's eating your phone's battery. Whereas this headset is dedicated. It is a VR headset with network connectivity. You don't, you don't stick your phone in it. You don't have to stick your phone in it. Okay. So, so this is a this is a pretty slick little device that's got its own processor. It's got its own uh, you know screen, and it's uh, it's built to give you a VR experience for two hundred dollars US. I think it's a pretty cool project product. But will it play the same games as the the full headset? Uh, yes, it will. Really? Yeah. For two hundred dollars. For two hundred dollars US. That's interesting. Uh, I wonder how they're going to do in the long run. To be honest, I mean, Oculus has uh, suffered from some slipping market share. It's been a bit of a problem for them. Um, you know, Palmer Lucky very famously came out as a, a bit of a troll during the uh, the elections in uh, 2016 in the U.S. So, uh, and a lot of people weren't very happy with Oculus when they sold out, you know, in capital letters to Facebook and has started to looking towards HTC's Vive. So, tough road ahead for Oculus, but I think this is a good way to go. When we come back from the break here on Get Connected, the carriers have announced... Uh some new potential plans that are data only. Would you pay $30 a month for just a chunk of data? When we come back, we'll talk with Laura Tribe from Open Media, what that's all about and if it's a good deal for consumers. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Got uh, an interesting uh, story here. In March, the CRTC announced that uh, it would ensure that Canadians have access to cheaper data-only wireless deals. So uh, plans that were data-only, no talk or texting in the traditional sense. Well, the uh, the big three have come out with their suggestions of uh, basically half a gigabyte of data for $30 a month. Well, uh, to me, that doesn't sound like a great deal. On uh, the line right now, uh, we've uh, got one of our experts from Open Media. We've got Laura Tribes. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. So uh, why did the CRTC mandate this to begin with before we get to what a great deal it is? <laughs> so the decision that the CRTC made last month uh, was around whether sort of alternative providers, Wi-Fi-based MVNOs, they're called, uh, should be allowed to exist. And essentially what they decided was we kind of need to stick with the status quo when it comes to the type of companies that we have until we can do a bigger review. So that means, you know, companies like Sugar Mobile access the infrastructure that already exists and resell it are not allowed. Um, and so while that was pretty devastating for people like us who are waiting to see more choice in the market, uh, what the CRTC did recognize was that we need to address the affordability issue. The reason we need more choice in the market, the reason people are so excited about these other companies is because our prices are too high and particularly when it comes to data. So what they did in this proceeding coming up was they said, all right, well, what's the fastest way to fix the data problem? Well, let's go to those who own the majority of the market share and see what they can do about it. So they went to Bell and Telus and Rogers and said, you have a month to pitch us. What is your low-cost data-only plan and what does it look like? And as you alluded to, the results were pretty disappointing. Half a gigabyte, uh, 500 megabytes, uh, $30 yeah. a month. I don't know what you could really do with that little data. I mean, we're using data so much now for Facebook and messaging and downloading and, and watching shows like that would get eaten up in a matter of days for most average users. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, what we saw in these proposals, uh, in particular from TELUS, was the argument, well, people are just going to use their Wi-Fi at home, so it's fine. But anyone who has a cell phone plan right now is probably already doing that. I know that I'm tethered to Wi-Fi at home, at the office, at my friend's house, anything I can to avoid going over my data cap. And my data limit is already much higher than that. So if you take away the ability to use talk and text, so I can't just pick up the phone and call you, I have to use it over my data plan, I'm going to need even more data than that. So I think these plans for what they're hoping people are going to use them for are pretty defective. Well, I'm, I'm looking, uh, and this was a uh, uh, on the CBC website, they did a story on this, uh, and they said the CRTC reported that in 2016, Canadians used an average of 1.2 gigabytes of mobile data uh, per month. So... I mean, that is, you know, more than double of what uh, the telecoms here are basically providing. And just a question here, did they all get in the same room together and come up with this price? Or did they just magically come up with this price all separately? I mean, it is pretty frustrating to see that there isn't any real pushing each other forward. And we've seen that consistently with three providers, that it's just not enough competition, it's not enough pressure, it's not enough innovation to really shake things up. And I think that's something that we're seeing even more of here. What do you think is going to happen now? I, I, I'm i sure if they took this on the road to try to sell this, uh, I don't think consumers would be happy with it. No, and I mean, I don't think these plans are something that they're hoping everyone will run to because they're going to make less money off of them than they are the 70 80 or $90 a month plans that people are on right now. The reason these data caps are so low on these plans is because if they're making less money on selling the services, they're hoping, this is my thought, they are hoping to catch people in those overage fees. So when you go over your data cap, that's where they really make their money. Um, it's not that, you know, my data cap of two gigs and your data cap of three gigs really cost that big difference in one extra gigabyte. It's that because I've agreed to this, they can charge me way extra when I go over. And so I think what we're really going to see is some pushback on the data limits themselves. Uh, but ultimately, it's up to the CRTC to decide if they accept these plans. They have the authority uh, to change them. They have the authority to mandate what those plans could look like. Uh, and I think that what we're really hoping for at Open Media is that enough people speak up, tell the CRTC what a problem this is, and that these aren't good enough, that they don't think that this is a real viable affordability mechanism they can put in place, that this doesn't go far enough. We're talking with Laura Tribe, Executive Director of Open Media, a consumer watchdog group uh, here in Canada. Uh, what's happening in the U.S.? Uh, there's some carriers down there that have uh, data-only plans. Yeah, so we actually have companies in Canada, uh, like Ping, that actually aren't allowed to exist in Canada, so they operate based in the U.S., <laughs> and I think that's really the problem that we're trying to solve here and really trying to push the CRTC and the government forward on. So MBNOs, mobile virtual network operators, uh, are companies that sell cell phone service, but they don't have to build the infrastructure themselves. And that's something that we see in the United States. We see a lot more competition. We see a lot more choice because of this type of service being allowed. Um, in Canada, they're not forbidden, but you have to work out an agreement with the right with the companies to actually be allowed on. So you have to tell Rogers, okay, I want to get on, and they'll set the rates way higher than it costs for retail, and no one can ever sign up to it. It's not worth it. Uh, but when you look at what that happens in the States, we see a lot of different plans. We see data-only plans. We see 
high data, low data, anywhere in between data. We see talk and text only plans. We see prepaid and postpaid plans and a lot more variety in what you can get from providers because there's just more choice. There's more choice of companies and there's more choice of plans. And that's really what we need to push towards in Canada to make sure that we have that same level of choice to ensure that we're getting the services that we need, not just the same services these companies have decided to offer. I remember that glorious plan they had at Christmas time, uh, 10 gigs for 60 bucks. I, I got on that uh, on that train, but uh, that went pretty quick. I'm jealous. I did not have two days to spend waiting in line around the mall. So uh, I think that, that went really quickly. And I think when we look at the plans that are being put forward now, you know, $30 for 500 megs versus $60 for 20 times that and talk and text it really puts it into perspective of just how bad these plans are. You know, when we compare what's being put forward in these plans to how much people are already using now, you say, okay, they're pitching 500 gigs. We're looking at people using 1.2. Maybe I only need half the data. Maybe not everyone's using it. I think we forget how thirsty people are for that data. People lined up around malls waiting just to get these plans because they needed that extra data. They knew that they were cutting themselves off, that they were turning their data off halfway through the month, or that they were waiting to send messages home or look up where the restaurant was until they got onto Wi-Fi because they can't afford it. And so when we see those kinds of pushes, it's really clear that people are not having their needs met by the current options. So what can consumers do then? Uh, in the really short term, tell the CRTC exactly what you think these plans should look like. Uh, Open Media will be launching a tool next week to collect comments, but you don't have to wait for us. You can go straight to the CRTC's website and tell them what you think of these plans or what you think a data-only plan should look like that is affordable for you. Uh, but longer term, I think we need to make sure that the government knows that this is a priority. Uh, ultimately, when it comes down to the idea of real choice in the market, the government keeps ruling on the side of facilities-based competition, that you need to build the towers yourself to be able to compete. And until we actually pressure the government to change the direction the CRTC is headed, I don't think we're going to see a real change. So we're hoping to keep the pressure up and make sure Minister Baines knows this is a priority. Laura Tribe from Open Media. Openmedia.org is the website, right? It sure is, and OpenMedia.org on Twitter. Thank you for joining us, Laura. Thank you so much. Still a lot more tech to talk here on Get Connected. We'll be back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. What if there was a Keurig or a Tassimo for food? Well, technology is catching up. On the line right now, we've got our friend Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I wanted to talk with you. Um, you had recently attended something called the Techstars Demo Day uh, in Toronto, and uh, you really uh, came across, I think, some interesting technology startups that uh, I thought the listeners would be interested in uh, hearing about. One of them uh, that kind of caught my eye was uh, a pressure cooker that takes little meal pots, kind of almost like a Keurig or a, a Tassimo, but for, for food. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that same idea. I mean, obviously, uh, this company, KitchenMate, uh, this startup, they looked at the Keurig idea, and in fact, they have like uh, somebody from Keurig on their board or an, at least an advisor to the company, I believe. So clearly, they're they're working with that sort of concept on uh, on-demand food and uh, easy to make, easy to prepare packaging. So uh, it's really ingenious. Like uh, it is a pressure cooker, and that's my way of just describing it. The startup doesn't call it that, but it is that. It combines heat 
and water, and it uh, cooks any food that's in there pretty quickly and effectively. So, you know, you, these meal pods come, and you keep them in your fridge. And, and the idea would be that offices could do this to sort of feed their employees. But the food is really high quality, right? These are not microwave dinners. These are meals that um, are uh, beautifully cooked, and, and I was able to sample some of the food even at this demo day. And I can tell you, I, I would never think that it came from some sort of prepackaged meal, but uh, it did. And, uh, you know, you could make anything in these meal pods, and it's super easy. You just take the pot out, pop it into the kitchen make, press the button, and it can identify what the meal is and exactly what to do to cook it properly so you're not going to burn it. And uh, it pops out ready to eat. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Uh, how big are these pods? Well, they're about the size of a bread box or like a loaf of bread, I guess, or maybe even a little bit smaller than that. So uh, the great thing about that is, you know, with meals coming in a pod like this is a lot of people, you know, trying to watch that waistline, keeping on top of their diet. So you know exactly the calorie count and what is going to be in that food. If you have allergies or maybe you're uh, sensitive to gluten, well, you know exactly what you're getting in the meal pod. No, there's no worries about uh, ordering out from a restaurant about some sort of mystery food showing up in there. I mean, is this thing just basically a fancy oven? It, it's a pressure cooker, yeah. Okay. So, like, it's similar to the Instant Pot that was very popular, I, I think, was it at Christmas time, or, like, people are buying these things like crazy from Amazon. But um, the, the whole idea that was unique here is the idea, meal pod idea, right? That you, it would be a service that uh, you just get shipped these meals and uh, there's some smart interaction between the packaging and the device. So you don't really have to make any decisions about what to program in and uh, how to cook it. It just knows, the machine knows what to do. Did they did they have any indication of uh, the price for the unit itself and what the pods would be? No, I didn't. I didn't get that at this point. I mean, this is a startup that's um, onboarding some businesses at this point, so they didn't have like consumer pricing for their units and their meals. Um, maybe they have some enterprise pricing available. Uh, I'd have to check on that. Very, very interesting. What else was interesting at uh, this TechStars demo day that you went to? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people are really distracted by their smartphones these days. Um, maybe you find you're constantly checking Twitter. You can't get off Facebook, you know, and uh, people are trying to reclaim their time and some mindfulness. And actually, it, it can get pretty serious, Mike. Like some young people now uh, have these symptoms where they're seri actually addicted. This is recognized uh, as a medical condition where you can be addicted to your technology. So serious stuff and uh, a horrible thing to deal with in your life sometimes. So this company called Flipped is developing an app and service that will help you disconnect, right? It's, it's really simple. It's just a smartphone app that will warn you that you've been on your screen too long. It will shut off the phone for you. Make sure that you're focusing on the task at hand so it can connect with your calendar and be smart about when you need to be focusing on what's in front of you in real life and not on your screen. And you just install it on your device that you don't want to use too much and flipped, make sure that uh, you're, on, you're on focus.
I just wonder how well this is work will work because <laughs> people that are that addicted, I think, will get tired of that app pretty fast. Yeah, I know because what if you're really desperate, you just turn it off, maybe, right? Yeah. But, um, they had a wonderful pitch, and this uh, chief marketing officer of Flip, Atlanta Harvey really had a great story about a young uh, woman that was a student at, at university and she went through a whole psychology course and failed it because she couldn't pay attention to what the professor was saying. She's too obsessed with looking at her smartphone and being distracted. She installed Flipped, went back the next year and passed the course no problem because she was able to focus on the professor and Flips just made it impossible for her to be distracted by her device. Well, that's a good success story. Uh, any other uh, tech startups uh, that caught your eye? Yeah, one more here for you that I'll mention is uh, this VR-focused startup. So a lot of people are wondering how virtual reality will enter into the popular culture, right? Because, I mean, some people have spent the money on and bought these virtual re- high-end virtual reality headsets, but they're expensive, and then you need, like, some fancy computer and it's a little bit isolating, right? It's not something that everybody wants in their living room necessarily. And it just costs a lot of cash. But what if you could set up like and visit a sort of virtual reality arcade? And this arcade was actually just a fancy and comfortable chair that's uh, called a VR pod. And you could just sit in it and put on the headset. And maybe you do this at the office when you're on a break or you, when you're at a mall, or who knows, even libra- the library. So Lumiere VR is this startup that rents out these uh, VR pods. And it's like this whole custom uh, experience where you sit in this chair, the top of the chair, there's this top part that's like a pod, and it comes down over your head that sort of makes this cone of silence, and, and it isolates you from the outside world. Then you put on the VR headset and you go into your experience and you can do this, you know, anywhere you are. Love it. We're talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada about the Techstars demo days. Uh, Brian, I think I'll have to say that the uh, the meal pod thing is my favorite thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. I know. The convenience of it is just too good to pass up. I like, I want one in my kitchen. Technology for bachelors everywhere. Thanks again for joining us, Brian. Cheers. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. Let's talk Nintendo now. Nintendo's latest gaming system, Switch, has uh, been doing some decent business, but uh, it's been revealed in the past week that hackers have basically hacked it so that you can exploit it now and run, I guess, pirated content on it. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people call this homebrew software, and it's usually used for... I like like how they use that word. (laughs) they're, They're doing it so they can... Pirate games. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, typically the games that they are, you know, pirating um, tend to be older games, right? They use this for emulation. So you put Super Nintendo games on it, which, you know, sales on those aren't rocketing through the roof anymore. Nintendo actually, you know, has done a fairly decent job of selling the SNES Classic to try to bring that back for people. But for people who want to play these games on the go, uh, basically what they've done is they've used this exploit, um, which is in hardware. That's the the interesting thing about this. So they've used this exploit to basically be able to hack the operating system so that they can run their own software on there, run emulators, that kind of thing. Um, Right now, uh, pirated Nintendo Switch games are a a bit of a ways off, uh, at least from what we're hearing. Uh, So it's not really threatening Nintendo's sales there. 
which is a problem that we've seen in the past with Nintendo systems, the, the DS, the 3DS, that kind of thing, and with Sony systems, the PSP and the Vita. All of those systems were exploited, and piracy really did hurt software there. Um, but the interesting thing here, as I mentioned earlier, is that this is a hardware exploit. So this is, at the heart of the Nintendo Switch, there's an, an NVIDIA processor. And you know NVIDIA, they make video cards and that sort of thing, but they make these processors for portable systems called the Tegra processor. Uh, and this particular processor has a fault in it that uh, cannot be patched out. So that's really why this is a big deal. Um, basically, in the past, Nintendo has been able to update the firmware um, and basically prevent uh, access to, to exploits and patches. This one's going to be a lot harder for them to fill. And it, I mean, some hackers are saying it's not even going to be possible for them to do it. So is there a run on uh, Nintendo Switches right now? The, so here's the thing. If you bought a Nintendo Switch, if you managed to get one in this first batch, which, I mean, it's been a, you know, over a year, yeah. um, your, the value of your Nintendo Switch actually has gone up. Uh, typically, we see you know, systems will, they will you know, depreciate over time. Uh, this particular system is not. Uh, reason for being, Nintendo is releasing a newer model that doesn't have this, uh, this vulnerability in it. Um, which you know obviously should help to to curtail the the damage there. Uh, so yeah, I mean if you do have an existing Nintendo Switch and you know somebody who wants to do, you know do homebrew software, they might be wearing an eye patch and carrying a parrot. Uh, your your system's a little bit more valuable. You know what I'm uh, going to do? Mm. Um, just talking about uh, retro games and that. I'm going to build a little retro game computer out of a Raspberry Pi. Those oh. little little computer boards a you can get them for yeah, yeah raspi and they've got a, a software program called retropie mm -hmm. that uh, allows you to play all the old classics that'll emulate uh, you know the ataris nintendos uh, everything uh, and you can play all your old favorite games and arcade games so we should say with a caveat here that you need to own a copy of the game that you're playing and if you're using a rom you should be downloading that from the cartridge or the disc yourself that's us covering our butts legally. Uh, we actually did a great video segment on this, which you can find on our YouTube channel um, with a RetroPie kit uh, from a Canadian company called Canakit. And so uh, basically that, that kit right there gives you everything that you need to play this thing. Now, I noticed you were shopping for this the other day, were you not? Yes. So uh, I'm going to get one of the boards. Uh, the latest one is the Raspberry Pi 3 Plus or yes. B. I forget. It's Raspberry 3B. 3B. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, that's just, I think it's 35 bucks for the, the actual computer board itself. You still need a little power supply, uh, which, you know, is anywhere from 7 to $10, uh, and you'll need a case for it. I found some really cool ones on Amazon. They look like little uh, uh, Nintendo ca uh, cases. Yeah, the Super Nintendo case. So, so, yeah, Super Nintendo. It looks just like the SNES Classic, which I actually managed to get my hands on. I, yeah. was, I was super, super stoked about this. And the actual SNES Classic is awesome. So if you're looking for that experience and you can find one, I would say absolutely pick one up. Uh, but the, uh, the Pi 3 kits are, you know, they're really cool. Um, if you are looking to, to try out RetroPie, like I said, Canakit does have those kits, which does have all of the, it comes with the software, it comes with the board, comes with the power adapter. And all you need at that point is that really cool shell that you were looking at on Amazon which gives you a, a really neat way of, of playing this, this type of uh, system. Yeah, so there's uh, websites, uh, and again, just Google RetroPie, and they kind of walk through exactly what you need to do to set that all up. You can also run uh, Kodi on that, uh, which uh, allows you to view a lot of uh, your content that you might have uh, at home as well. Yeah. Like movies and TV shows. Precisely. 
and I use that uh, in my home theater, and it, it is awesome. But, but there's so many different programs you can get for it. It's amazing how powerful these little computers are for like under 50 bucks. It's kind of blown my mind a little bit because I remember when we were starting to look at sort of computing on a chip, and you know it wasn't really that powerful. And now we've got systems that can handle 1080p and 4K uh, and something the size of a deck of cards, which, I mean, I realize like Moore's Law and whatnot, we shouldn't be shocked by this, but still it does blow my mind when we see these amazing systems that have... Wi-Fi and Bluetooth built in. It's just really awesome stuff. Cool. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about some cool apps. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. A little bit time left. Graham, we've uh, got an app of the weekend. It's a, a Star Wars theme in honor of uh, May 4th, which was yesterday. Yeah, so may the 4th be with you, as always. Um, today's app is Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. So this is available for Android and iOS. And the goal here is to uh, collect and battle with different Star Wars heroes from across the entire Star Wars pantheon. So whether you're a huge fan of uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, you love Rey and Kylo Ren, or for some reason you have terrible taste and enjoy the original, uh, the prequels, uh, you can actually collect all of these heroes and, uh, and fight against each other. So this is a, a fun game where there are microtransactions. You power your hero up over time. Uh, because it does have microtransactions, this is a game where it's going to take a lot of time to, uh, to play through and level your heroes up uh, if you don't want to pay money. But the nice thing is it's free to download, so you can get started uh, right away, and it doesn't cost you anything. That's pretty cool. And again, it's called? Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. I've been uh, playing around with a, a new uh, gadget that I got uh, Graham and I'm I'm freaking loving it. It's um it's actually a uh, a hose splitter that goes on your faucet outside. Okay. From Melnor, and it's called the Rain Cloud. And so you basically plug this into your tap, and it'll split your hose into four. Okay. And so now I have uh, hoses going out from this to different parts of my yard, and with sprinklers, and I can control each one of those taps through an app. So I can be at work. And I can, hey, you know, I turn my uh, soaker hose on in the garden and turn that on. Uh, I can set how much time. I can even program it if I want that to go off at four in the morning for a couple hours, you know, because of water restrictions or, or whatever. But it's changed my life. So this kind of replaces like a an underground irrigation system. Yeah. So I cheaped out. <laughs> that, that's actually kind of cool, though, because, I mean, you spend a lot of money for in-ground sprinkler systems. Yeah, and this is, this is kind of doing the same thing for me. Well, th those in-ground systems are a lot of work, right? Like, yeah. in the winter, you've got to clear the pipes, make sure they don't freeze, make sure they don't break, everything's buried. This is actually kind of cool. And, okay. Yeah, I think it's like a hundred, I forget how much I paid, a hundred to 150 bucks. Well, I, I just I just looked on Amazon here, and yeah, you're, you're about 100, 150 bucks Canadian. Anyway, it is awesome. So for the summertime, if you want to split your hose off and be able to control that through an app, it's, it is awesome. So any internet connected uh, phone, you can go into their website and log in with your password, or you can download the app on your phone and it works. And again, it's uh, from Melnor, M-E-L-N-O-R, and it's called the Rain Cloud. Let's, let's take a second here. We now live in a future with app-enabled hoses. See? It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Stow the flying cars. But I, I did learn I'm good uh, here. A, a thing about water pressure. You can't have more than one hose going at a time where <laughs> the whole thing just goes to a crawl. Fair. So, but you know, you live and learn. Yeah. One hose at a time, but app-enabled hoses. I dig it. Anyway, it's cool. I haven't come across really anything else like that other than like a full in-ground irrigation system. So this is kind of like a, an irrigation system on the cheap. Yeah. Which is cool. And you can even get a rain sensor for it. Okay, so if it's raining, it's not gonna it's not gonna turn on. Yeah, but in the app, and I haven't figured this out yet, uh, it actually ties in with your local weather. So if it's raining, uh, even though you might have programmed it to go off, it won't go 
That's see, that's handy. That's smart. I, I this is the type of Internet of Things uh, thing that I like to see. Very cool. That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on CKNW 980. This is Mike and Grab. Mike and Graham logging off for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.